podcast this week, we are going solo with the man who would be Han, Alden Ehrenreich, and two people who are suffering a severe case of arrested development as they return for a fifth series of the cult show, Leah Shawkat and Michael Sarah. Plus the usual movie news and nonsense on the only movie podcast that cannot handle another handle joke. Ye gods, please give me a break. Hello, Pod. I'm Helen O'Hara, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which is once again brought to you in association with those fine, upstanding folks at Sky Cinema, the dedicated home for movie lovers. Later in the show, Chris will be joining us live via satellite. No, wait, dead via? No, that's not right. Alive, but not live via satellite. Um, to highlight a couple of the movies that you can watch on Sky Cinema, just two from the thousand plus films available on demand, uh, including a brand new premiere every day. Chris himself is away on a top secret assignment somewhere on the planet. Or is he? He could be off planet. I'm not saying. Um, he's probably cooking up a fresh hellscape of jokes for next week. So in the meantime, you have me, I'm afraid. Um, and in, this week instead, I'm joined by two colleagues of lethal cunning. Um, first up is the man who the Spanish call El Furioso and the French try never to call at all. It's James Dyer. I like that. <laughs> El Furioso. Yes, that's my new name. I'm okay. going with that, definitely. Oh, God. What have I unleashed? Uh, and then we have our token millenni- millennial, uh, a man who makes up for an avocado toast what he what he will, he lacks in ever being able to retire. Yeah. It's Ben Travis. But I have lattes, at least. I can enjoy lattes. Thank God for lattes. <laughs> my goodness. Such a relief. Um, so we uh, we do have a question this week. In fact, I put up I had a call for questions on Twitter and was inundated with responses. So thank you all. But this one seemed like the most timely in terms of the films that are out this week. From at Talk Filmy to Me uh, asks with Solo coming out today, the film he clarifies, uh, what other Star Wars characters would you like to see get the anthology treatment? Well, that's a good question. It actually, um, uh, oh, oh, where do we meet Dengar? I'm going to say Dengar. Okay. Because Dengar has a fascinating backstory. So Dengar, long known, is the shittest character in the Star Wars universe. He's the guy wrapped in a nappy who turns up to Darth Vader's call for bounty hunters and Empire Strikes Back. He's also, though, I believe, voiced by Simon Pegg in, uh, I want to say Rebels. It's other Clone Wars Rebels. One of the animated ones. Right. So he's had a little sort of late claim to fame. But, but... But apart from being just a bit shit and the Star Wars figure that nobody wanted, who incidentally, <laughs> and I'm not even kidding, for some reason smelled of licorice. The, the, the Star Wars figure of Dengar smelled of licorice. Couldn't tell you why, but that is a fact. Look it up. Um, <laughs> I will. So Dengar's yeah. backstory is this. So he, he, became, a, he became a bounty hunter. Uh-huh. Uh, he a, was bounty a, hunter. a bounty hunter, <laughs> like Domino Harvey. Uh, he was a shit bounty hunter. He didn't find the Millennium Falcon. However, he was at Jabba's palace. You brim- glimpsed him briefly. He was betrayed, as I recall, and uh, drugged or knocked out or something, and therefore left behind when Jabba went to the pit of Khakum. No! And I think it was Boba Fett who did it to him. So oh. Boba Fett dies. Dengar lives. Dengar he lives. lives. That's the name of the film. Dengar, Dengar lives. lives. Yeah. And That's so, but, 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 and this is the best part. He retires to become, or is it, to reclaim his dream of becoming a swoop bike racer. And he gives up bounty hunting for a life on the track until a horrible accident uh, leaves him crippled and unable to race. I'm genuinely not not making this up. It's on Wikipedia. Look it up. And he's he's, he's rendered unable to race. And so his dreams of being a championship swoop bike racer are dashed. And um, rather than sort of, you know, end in a, in a blaze of glory, he retires and marries and, and essentially retires to the countryside with his wife. Well, hang on. Okay. First of all, I need to clarify a couple of things. Number one, I only told 
James about this question about two minutes before we started. So he has not had time to look this up. He just knew that stuff. There is no sheet of paper in front there of him no with the backstory. There is no sheet of paper. That's alarmingly true. Uh, in in my defence, I was involved in the production of the Harnopedia that we did uh, okay. uh, as a supplement to the issue, and it's possible I did some reading around it for that. But yes, I have an alarming amount of Dengar, Dengar knowledge in um, my head. Second of all, what's a swoop bike? A swoop bike. It's it's a, a lot like the um you know like the the bikes to have on Endor, okay. like the speeder okay. bikes. It's a lot like that, but it's for racing. And at one right. point, I believe uh, Dengar races a young Han Solo. So this was this was before because he was a swoop bike racer once before. Oh, so it could tie so in. All comes oh, back. It all, it all comes, comes back full together. Circle. Um, but uh, yeah, no, no. Den- Dengar was a funny one because you'd always you'd want a decent uh, figure, mm. uh, and you'd, you'd have, and you'd always get Dengar. Like whenever I was given uh, Star Wars toys as a kid, like you'd get. I had like five Dengars. It's the one everyone bought, and I guess it's the one that no one was there. And all I ever wanted was the original uh, Han Solo one. Like, you know, the one from, from A New Hope, Han Solo. Like, yeah. I had the Best Pin one, and I had the Return of the Jedi <laughs> one, but I never had the Han Solo from, from Star Wars one. And so every Christmas, I'd wake up on Christmas morning, I'd open my presents, I'd be disappointed, and I'd be left with one question. Do you know what that was? Where's oh. the Han doll? Where is it? I need it. Help me find it. Where's the Han doll? I should have seen that lining up, and <laughs> yeah, for some just, reason they didn't. I, I saw, I saw it coming, but it was, it was too late. There like was, a, like an asteroid to heading oh. towards your view screen, it was too late to get out of the way. Jesus, I'm God. done. That's it. I was really just saying that. Up. Yeah, I thought, I thought you were somehow. Oh, wow. Well, um, do you know what the, the, the character I would like to see spun off was? This is a very tiny spoiler for Solo. This is a very, very, very small spoiler. All right. There is a shot in Solo that lasts about a second of a small droid who's having a good time, right? He's jumping up and down on uh, basically a control panel mm-hmm. and he just seems awesome. <laughs> I want to know more. That droid is the droid that I would like to to see at the centre of a new Star Wars spin-off. And, and literally, I think he should be like Wally I don't, or, or R2. I don't think he should speak. I think he should just be a little droid and some stuff should happen around him. There's another very minor character in um, in Solo as well. Uh, again, I don't. It's not really a, a spoiler, but there is a thing in a jar yes. that sings. That is probably my favourite thing in the what, film. What is that about? It's it's like a little blob. It's like a yellow blob. I don't want to know how he lives, or she, or it, or sure. however it chooses we don't to identify. Indeed, yeah. Um, but I I just saw it and I wanted to know more. Like that droid. I was like, I just... it did. I'm not sure about the thing in the jar because it looked a bit sort of. Um, Bad guy in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, what the Shredder? The cr- cr- no, the Krang? the Krang. Krang. The, I think I'm thinking. Which of. one's Krang? It's, it's, like like a, it's like a brainy, pink blob. Pink blob. Brain thing. blob. Thing. Okay. You know. I don't know Krang. Oh well, somebody didn't. I know Bebop their... and Rocksteady. <laughs> you know Dengar. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> Dengar. Oh, come on, give me some credit. <laughs> I got two words for you. Baru origins. Ooh. I mean, those are the worst two words. Nobody yeah, they're not good. All right, how about Yaddle? You know Yaddle. Yoda's girlfriend. I'm just going to nod. And do you know what? I do. And do you know why I know this? Um, it's because a friend of mine has a four-year-old little boy, Hello yeah. Corvin, and um, he is he has not seen the Star Wars films yet because he's, mm-hmm. he's a little bit little. He's seen some of the cartoons and the Lego Star Wars, but he hasn't seen the movies. But he has read the Star Wars encyclopedia uh-huh. thing, which includes Yaddle. So he actually, like, 
will go up to my friend and test her Star Wars knowledge, of which she has very little, um, and then explain things to her because he's learning his mansplaining early. Um, <laughs> and uh, and he told her all about Yaddle, and she asked me about him and uh, or her, sorry, and I was I was uh, taken aback. Yeah, I did not know. Do you know who Yaddle is, Ben? I don't. Why did I hire you again? Um, Yaddle is the, the, I would say, I can only really say a girl Yoda because no one knows the name of Yoda's species, mm. but she's a female of Yoda's species who appears on the Jedi Council in The Phantom Menace. Ah, right. And, and as is customary, doesn't have a speaking role. Well, so, George. Yeah, exactly. George, Yoda creatures don't pass the Bechdel test. Um, <laughs> as, so. the, um, as the token millennial, I'm going to uh, make a choice from the new trilogy. Yeah, of course okay. you are. So... Uh, <laughs> Maz Kanata, I'm fascinated oh, by. Shut up! No, she is. A, shut. Up. She is a thousand years old. There's She's got, seen things with those giant eyes. Oh, God. Uh, She's probably had other liaisons with Wookies in the past. Uh, that's so. That's what I see in my mind. So apparently, everything in. <laughs> okay, that's alarming. Uh, but not in that sense. Uh, but Maz and Chewie <laughs> make a porno. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Well, now this idea is destroyed forever. So, um, no, apparently everything in her kind of cantina is um, is stuff that she's kind of heisted from yeah. elsewhere. So, her just like flying around the, ba- the galaxy, Indiana Jones style, like uh, mm. just finding cool objects, bringing them back to the castle, and then like hooking up with Chewie. Wow. Um, she likes that Wookiee. There is already too much Maz Kanata in my life. I No, no just... I, I quite like her, but I'm not sure. I, I just think we need to get further away from the main canon with the anthology. Uh, further mm-hmm. back in time, further forward in time, further sideways in location, I don't care. But there, there has to be a bit more distance for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I mean, I, I haven't played the games, but I'm aware of the existence, for example, of Knights of the Old Republic. Yes. Um, so something like that might be the way to go. That would be fun. I want to see uh, Major Bren Derlin get his own film. Uh, and again, I'm yes. going to need you to clarify. This is John Ratzenberger from, uh, oh, from The Empire yeah. Strikes Back, because sometimes you want to go where every Wookiee knows your name. <laughs> I, w- I, I do think there's something to be said for these anthology films, again, being further off in genre too. So mm-hmm. why not have just like a cantina set story? Yeah, like absolutely. almost a, a bottle episode of Star Wars. The other thing I've got written down is Caretaker Origins. And I would maybe see that as like Last of the Summer <laughs> Wine, but in the Souls universe where they're just before With Ray fishing, comes and like more fucks everything up. But yeah. They're just, just living a calm life yeah. on, uh, on Acto, uh, feeding the porgs. Yeah. Uh, trundling around with those little wheelie things. It's a blank slate. You can do whatever you want with that. The Adventures of Cornelius Everzan and Ponder Baba. I'd watch that. Would you? Yes. Would anyone else? Yes, of course they would. They're awesome. I mean, they're not so good in Rogue One, but they're generally awesome other than that. Well, okay, they're shit. But, (laughs) you look, a lot of these characters are probably (laughs) shit, but as I think we've all understood from Dengar, you can do amazing things with (laughs) random backstories. Um, You know, they've brought Dengar to life, and I think think (laughs) Ponda Baba deserves the same treatment. You know, perhaps he's an opera singer. Perhaps we want to hear about how Max Rebo put his band together. You know, Sice Noodles, when she got over her kind of death stick addiction, you know, Uh was on the uh ropes. A singer out on her luck, found on the streets of Tatooine, recruited to join the band. It could happen. This is suddenly taking up. Droopy McCall's arrest on drug offences. All of this could be. It's all sounding quite sort of the the Blues Brothers (laughs) with the Cantina Band. Yeah, I think I think that could work. Max Rebo was the talent behind. Never truly recognised, but was the talent behind that band. Behind the Blues Brothers. Yeah. Well, he is kind of 
blue. He is blue and <laughs> may have a brother. We don't know. You know, they had a rival ship uh, with the modal nodes, which course, was a lot like pop stars, the idols, or the rivals, or whatever it's called. I don't watch reality TV, but I'm sure there's one of these shows. <laughs> Hence the, that pull you from know, about 15 the, years ago. <laughs> you know, the, the pop factor, what is it? The X, the X stars, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, yeah, no, this should happen. You know, it ends in a big musical number mm. with the two. No. I've lost I mean, you. I'm not, you've a little bit lost. Me. There is there is a sensible answer to this question, and it is this: that when you do uh, like origin movies for Han Solo and for Kenobi and George Lucas for Darth Vader, uh, you diminish those characters. Yes. And even though Solo is a good film, and we will get onto that a little bit we later, will. it diminishes the character of Han Solo. Not like because it's bad, but because. You don't need demystification. We don't need to see how he started. Everything I need to know about Han Solo and his backstory is in that cantina in A New Hope. I don't need any more than that. And I think, you know, the prequels, for all their good parts and bad parts, they don't do Darth Vader any favours. And I I just think if you take characters that have no emotional connection to audiences, if you take characters that we don't know a lot about, you know, flesh them out, you can make non interesting characters interesting. There's no need to make interesting characters less interesting. Here endeth the lesson. Amen, brother. So I think that's about right, actually, and I agree with that. So I uh, uh, hope we answered your question, talk filmy to me. Um, and if you'd like to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, you can, of course, do so via Twitter, where we are at Empire Magazine, and use the hashtag Empire Podcast, or we won't see it. Facebook, we're also M- Empire Magazine, showing a serious lack of originality. And on email, we are podcast at empireonline.com. All right, time for an interview. And uh, this week, uh, I think we'll start with the two immensely talented and funny stars who got their big break in their teens, the jammy bastards, um, when they were cast as the Bluth grandchildren in uh, the cult comedy Arrested Development. Um, Since then, he's gone on to star in Superbad, in Scott Pilgrim, in like a million things, really. And she's had a hit run on Transparent. She was in Whip It. She was in Final Girls. Uh, and they're now, of course, both back for Arrested Development Season 5. So speaking to, I believe, James and Ben, just now. Just Ben. Just Ben. Just James just No, I, 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 I looked through the window and watched him do the interview, but on account of having literally never watched the TV show, I thought it best I didn't get involved. Well, I can recommend Arrested Development. It is extremely funny. Seems a lot like it's a comedy, though. Oh, yes, I forgot your mm-hmm. abhorrence for humour. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, with no further ado, please welcome Michael, Sarah and Aaliyah Shawkat. So uh, I'm delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the stars of Arrested Development Season 5, Alia Shawkat and Michael Sarah. How are you guys doing? Hi. Good. Hey, pretty Thank good. You. It gives me good so much here. joy just to be able to say Arrested Development Season 5 is here, yeah. it exists. Yeah. <laughs> um, and let's kick things off. How relieved are you two to be on a press tour where... Um, at the end of the interview, the last question isn't, so is Arrested Development coming back? What do you know about the next right. season? Yeah. Uh, and then you guys have to say, well, I don't know. I think it's happening, right. but we haven't heard yet. Well, probably people are going to ask about season <laughs> yeah, Exactly. It's just going to keep going on forever. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. It's You get used to that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just nice that people like the show. I mean, really, we, mm-hmm. you know, when we made the show, it was really like nobody knew it. And that was fine. I mean, we all like loved yeah, it and everything, okay but it, yeah. it's nice that people know it now. I mean, it could have gone the other way. It might have just fallen through the cracks. Yeah, Nobody totally. would ever have found it, you know? And the, the kind of home release and Netflix. I start, I got yeah. into it when I was at university because I got the box sets and then it was like yeah. one person yeah, watched it and then we all watched people, it together. I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I can't believe as well it's already like five years since... I know. That's Um, weird. Was it a reunion for you guys getting together for season five, or do you keep up um, with each other in the intervening years? We stay in touch. Yeah, we we see each other. Long walks Mm -hmm. and dinners every now and then. 
But, yes. um, yeah, for everybody else, it felt definitely like a reunion mm-hmm. type thing. Um, the last five years, in a weird way, felt like um, the longest, you know, in a, mm. in a weird way. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, because again, we never find out that we're actually doing it till like, Probably off. a week before, yes, really. yeah, or less. <laughs> Although I went and I went to LA to help. Oh yeah, to write. brainstorm things. But it still wasn't in 2015. Uh, Jesus Christ! So then, and then I walked away from that thinking it's probably never going to happen yeah. because like a lot of time went by yeah, and yeah, we, yeah. we had like a lot of ideas. Mm-hmm. I don't know if any of those actually made it into this series, though. Right. We might have just thrown it all away and started from scratch. Well, it got different too once the election happened. Y- right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, can you sure. remember any of the ideas that you threw out there in that meeting? Can you remember any the of the Well, uh, yeah. Um, there was a whole, like, you know, a whole, like, story arc that ended up not really making it into the show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't can know if I can really describe it. it? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know if you're allowed to. I mean, describing yeah. some of the actual plots of the show is is hard enough. They, yeah, they yeah, what actually like, happened. And everything. It's like some, yeah. I, yeah. It was it a while ago, sense. but, yeah. And I, I guess the, um, I imagine the wait for season four didn't feel like a wait for season four because you didn't know that season four was going to happen. No. Whereas yeah. this time the expectation was that hopefully it, it would come back after a few years. Yeah. I think and so. as we yeah. were saying earlier too, it was like a very early on for Netflix kind of, you know, it wasn't fully original programming, but it was one of the first shows that Netflix like, you know, made. Mm-hmm. And now they have so many original programming shows. So when it happened too, it was kind of like, who knows if we'll make another one of these. And then you start mm-hmm. seeing all the other shows Mm-hmm. And I was like, are we going to get to do another one of those? Right. Like, I don't know. It felt like watching Netflix shift so much and mm-hmm. how it grew, you know, so like, exponentially. Oh, these guys are going to keep making things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, these it's things working are doing well. Them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so when did you actually find out that it was coming back? And what was it like getting the script through? Was it like you got the script and you thought, oh, okay, here it is. It, it is real. I mean, I think I, it was the kind of thing where you don't know it's real until you're there yeah. shooting it. Like until you're, you arrive totally. and you're doing a fitting. You're like, wow, okay, we're going to yeah, do yeah. this. And you see everyone else, but because we started last year in the summer, yeah, like late summer mm-hmm. in 2017. So I, mm-hmm. I think you know it, it was kind of like became real for me a few months before that. Mm-hmm. When they like usually like figure out you know coming to LA and figure out your living situation and really you know starts to become concrete. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, then this, yeah. <laughs> so, no, just like the scripts too. We we did get a couple of scripts, but then. It reminded me the most that we were back when we started shooting and being like, "All oh, right, this is how it works." Yes, like everything mm-hmm. would change really randomly, yes. and Day all of. of a sudden they're like, "We got to fit you for these like uh, meth teeth and a wig," and I was like, <laughs> "For what?" And then they're like, "You'll see." <laughs> yeah, don't um, worry. So it's a lot of yeah, like the crazy miscommunications and just like the randomness of the ideas yeah. having to come to fruition overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching just, that process. Yeah. Being like, oh my God, they already built this whole crazy idea of yeah. like, you know, someone in a banana suit and a crane. Mm-hmm. It was just like, so, you just have to like submit yourself to that. Just yeah. go with it. You just show up. Just you're like, all right, it. give yeah. me this. I'll take it. Let's right. go. Let's just yeah. do it. Yeah. And and did it feel different making it? Because obviously one of the things with season four was that because ever, everyone's availability and the, the format, of that season, uh, it seems like you did a bit of overlap, but then quite a lot of separate shooting. Yeah, yeah. What was it like getting everyone back together? It was nice. It was a lot better. Really nice. Yeah. yeah, it feels a little more like how you remember doing it. Mm-hmm. Totally. The original series, everyone's there. Because the last time we didn't even like we had some stuff together, but it didn't feel like it was in the same vein or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like we all had our own because it was kind of like each character had their own episode mm-hmm. that kind of worked together. But this one was a lot more. Yeah, just like the original show. Mm. Yeah, did, did it feel like the original? Did it feel like something new because of Netflix? Has that changed the way that the show kind of gets made? And Well, yeah, 
it does change the production like schedule because mm-hmm. we sort of block shoot the whole season mm-hmm. instead of you know work on like this week we're working on episode seven. Mm-hmm. We sort of just do the whole thing as like a big shoot, almost mm-hmm. like a movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then the, the the narrative episodes sort of get decided in in post. Right. Mm-hmm. So we you know that that's just kind of a different way of approaching the work mm-hmm. than than we originally did because we actually were like. You know, they would air as we were mm-hmm. shooting um, when we did the original series. Yeah. So you would do an episode a week, and then mm-hmm. that would be done, and then you'd do another episode, and it was much more linear storytelling as a performer. Like, you knew more where mm-hmm. you were. Yeah. Sometimes when you shoot this way, you don't really know the context of what yeah. you're doing. <laughs> totally. And it's, you just have to, like, get kind of informed right before you do it mm-hmm. and hope that you get it right. <laughs> yeah. Trust in uh, Mitch yes. Hurwitz. Yes. Yeah. He knows, a lot of he trust. Knows All the trust. Yes. Yeah. And, and it seems like that was kind of the... Um, uh, what happened with this kind of remixed version of season four? That like mm-hmm. obviously it was all shot in that way, and then they took everything they had and, and recut Rearranged it into it. those yeah. um, kind of twenty minute episodes, more like the original format. Um, right? Have you guys seen the remix? How do you feel about that situation? Because as much as season four got a difficult reception, it's really interesting mm. in what it was like yeah. doing. I've yeah, never seen right. a show have that structure before. It's like yeah. every character is a different episode, but it's yeah. all happening concurrently. And yeah. looking back on it, I was kind of like. Uh, because uh, I liked the fourth season. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting. I was like, it didn't have the same feel as the first three seasons, but, um, you know, talking about it in press now being like, yeah, it was, Netflix was still such a new format mm-hmm. of being like, you go watch the whole show and we, we adjust right. to things like technology so quickly where we're just like, yeah, that's normal. But I'm like, mm-hmm. only five years ago, that was not how we processed, uh, you know, TVs and, and movies. Like, and now we watch so much in a different way. Um, so I think it was like so smart as Mitch is obviously uh, to be like let's try something new with this format mm. because like in his mind he was like you could hop from one episode to the other because you see a character in the background it was really smart um, and again just like very Arrested Development like where it was like ahead of its time I think where people were like what is this mm-hmm. you know that's how the show was responded to when it first came out mm. um, but the remix version I watched a couple episodes and it is definitely like you kind of understand a little bit more mm-hmm. what's happening, but I still think it was a really great, like, creative leap to try the other format. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it's like kind of why thrilling. not yeah. try something else? He always yeah. is trying to do something different. They're, they're both out there now as well because the original yeah. version is still mm-hmm. available. People right. can yeah. kind of, I guess, that's partly the Netflix thing as well. Like, choose how right. you want to watch things. And totally, make, yeah. Choices there. Um, yeah, did, did you expect while you were making it because it was just a different way of presenting the show that there might be like a trickier reception to that season to the fourth season? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't really know if I knew how it was going to shake out. I think it was just yeah. so uncanny to be back totally. and doing this show again that that was kind of the focus. Is like, wow, this is so weird mm-hmm. with to be with this group again. Yeah, yeah. Because that was the biggest time jump. Yeah, you know, it was like almost yeah. had been like ten years, right and we were like, yeah, and it was a resurrection of like, this, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Show that died an early death, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you guys have been playing these characters for like for so long now. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, what's it been like to like evolve those characters? Do you want to move them forward, or do you want to do you go back and look at the old ones to kind of retain an essence of who these characters used to be? Hmm. And is it easy to slip back into, or because you've done so much other stuff in the meantime, is right. it like oh, I have mm-hmm. to get back into this mindset? I think it's slightly inorganic to mm-hmm. like take five years off, yeah, yeah, and then jump in and. You know, like, guess how your character might have evolved mm-hmm. over that time. But also, it's like, it's in the name. All the characters yeah. are in a state it's of arrested true. development. It so is what the show is about. When yeah. we get back together, 
like I remember coming back this season and finishing another job the day before yeah. and being a little like, oh, I hope I understand the rhythm and tone of this again. Because all of a sudden I was in a gray wig and didn't know why. And I was like, gotta, <laughs> like, gotta hop on the train here. Um, but it really clicked in when all the actors were together. Mm-hmm. And like when we'd be in the hair and makeup trailer running our lines, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, the pat, like the pattern and the timing yeah. and the rhythm is like what slips into the pocket. And because obviously we've been doing it so long, mm-hmm. it's a little easier than... Being like, so where is this character coming from? I'm just like, no, just tell me the lines. Like, I, I, I know her <laughs> in a way that I wish I didn't yeah. so well, you know? Right. It's just like in us, yeah. And yeah, like, like you said, so maybe gets another another disguise yeah. in, in season five. Is it fun kind of getting to, to take on these other personas within that character? Totally. It's so fun. Mm-hmm. I think I just became more aware of how many personas she's had over the years. Yeah. Like this time it's around, I was like... a character. Yeah, she just like hides herself. I, you know, I felt like I was like, this time I get disguises and I look yeah. back and I'm like, even in season four, I was yeah. the guru yeah. in yes. India. Or like the know? studio executive. Yeah, yeah the studio yeah. Like she's always like hiding um, in these yes. different people, but I love yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it was so fun. Every day having like a, a new wig, sometimes in the same day wearing three different wigs. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, the I kind of lost who I was as yeah. a person, but uh, I'll figure like that out later. sociopathic. That is <laughs> the character has become. Too. Yeah, yeah. Also, like so, when she get, whenever you give advice in this season to oh, me, it's always like out of control. Really, yeah, it's like, really bad. You have no moral compass at all. Oh. It's fun. And and She's George fun. Michael gets yeah. to wear the the Living Classics pageant <laughs> yeah, exactly. suit again. It's making his comeback. Right. Yeah. W- was that the same one? Did they hold no, on no. to the original one? Did it? It was a recreation. Yeah. yeah. Did you have to, was was it noticeably and get bigger? fitted for it? Yeah, obviously yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, obviously I wouldn't have fit into the <laughs> yeah. original Michael's one. body has evolved tremendously. <laughs> no. it's, it's, uh, the last this one was basically sheer nylon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing we get an update of with, with George Michael as well is is the Star Wars video, right. which is just one of my mm-hmm. favorite things right. uh, from the original series. Yeah. Uh, and now Star Wars is back as well. Did, right. you, did you watch... With uh, Ron Howard directing the Han Solo movie. Yeah, so too I, many I, closed too many references. Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys Star Wars fans? Were you bugging Ron Howard like... Can you let me see Solo? I didn't know he directed it till... Just now. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the movie and I was like, he did this, huh? Um, I'm definitely... I do like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not not into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw the Solo movie recently and it's a really oh, you, good time. You've seen it? Yeah, I saw oh, it in New York. It's, it's oh, really, cool. really fun. Great. Um, but yeah, it has like the best... At least this you know film um, has like the best nostalgia kind of mm-hmm. points to it. Mm. And I really like that aspect of it. And mm. if if um, Ron was going to do another one, would you be kind of poking him and saying, yes. "Can I Cast do something us? like?" I mean, what's the point in knowing Ron Howard if you can't? You can't ask him for jobs. Bother him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so Ron, you- if you're out there listening to this, I don't have your email. Uh, so just. Get back to me. <laughs> well, it seems like from Arrested Development, if you just walk down to Imagine Entertainment, you'll find uh, somebody who can uh, who can get hold of Ron Howard. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it would be a very uncomfortable walking. Yeah. You'd be like, yeah, hi, Al. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> <Come> on in. <laughs> um, so with the with the uh, Star Wars video, right. on the one hand, it's just you messing about and like swinging your arms around. Yes. But do you have to like actually choreograph that on any level? Do you base it on anything? Um, well, do you mean this new one? The new one and, and yeah. the old one. And the old one. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, obviously it was based on, you know, it was a mm-hmm. video of, you know, you know the yeah, original video of the kid of, yeah. doing that. Yeah. Um, that was our take on that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it wasn't too specific. You just mm-hmm. kind of have to. That was your version of it. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know. This one, it seems like you're explaining it more, right? Well, yeah, like this one is like he's, t- he's like he's like gotten to. good at it. I like that idea. He's like done a lot of this. He's like kind of good now. <laughs> were, were, you, were you studying the new films? Like, I need to steal that move. No, I mean, no, because I can't do any actual moves. I, I mean, 
Was that you All doing the nice the most stuff is not me. Yeah. Of right, course, right. no. There was a moment where I was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, Michael, go, I <laughs> get it. <laughs> um, I, I don't want to make the whole interview about this, and mm-hmm. if you don't want to talk about it, that's absolutely fine. But um, the Star Wars stuff, the Star Wars stuff, yeah. <laughs> no, keep going. Uh, no, it's a tricky <laughs> conversation for us to have. Uh, Ron's so involved. Um, no, the. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I'm a huge Arrested Development fan and a huge Transparent fan as well. And obviously mm-hmm. the um, the Jeffrey Tambor allegations have, have come out and there's the New York Times piece as well that's come out just this week. Um, the, the allegations and things came out after the new season was shot already. Um, wh- yeah. Was it? Was, was that the case? And does it make you reflect on those experiences kind of differently and does it make you think differently about what projects you're going to be going to moving forward? Um, I find that it, it, this whole, you know, movement that's been happening, the Me Too movement, and um, has made me reflect in a personal way, for sure, about how sets are run and dynamics that I think a lot of women I talk to are like, oh, wait, that was kind of weird what happened mm-hmm. back then, and I just processed it as being something normal. And I think a lot of men are also, you know, doing that. Everyone in general is becoming a lot more aware and hypersensitive to things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it makes it kind of hard to to know how to move forward. But, you know, I think it's definitely happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's changed. Uh, you know, it, we're seeing it happen, and especially in our field, mm-hmm. um, where it's like the main um, conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really, you know, important. And it's interesting, and hopefully it affects, uh, you know, um, like with Time's Up t- to uh, affect other fields, yeah. you know, uh, for women who are working in fields that they don't have this kind of power and acclaim behind them. Um, and it's, yeah, I look forward to seeing the trickle effect. Mm-hmm. So um, one thing, I was looking at uh, the IMDb trivia pages for you guys, because sometimes there's some like mad, been updated I think anyone can put anything on there. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. one thing that's on both of your uh-huh. lists is that you're part of the Interstate Five <laughs> oh, Tennis Club. Oh, the Tennis Club. Yeah, right. Yeah, Jake Johnson yeah. would be so proud. And like, do you, have you played tennis <laughs> together? Who, been, who, I remember when that so went funny. up. That was yeah. my like favorite that thing. That was Jake Johnson. So the, our friend yeah. Jake Johnson is yeah. a great actor. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the funniest, best actors working, I think. Great guy. Yeah. He made that. So we were all playing tennis together. There was this. Yeah, with Mike Langarano, yeah, another Mike good friend on of ours, it. actor. Um, and we would, yeah, all yeah. gather. Yeah. One summer, we were getting together all the we're time playing and playing, playing tennis, tennis. Like doubles. And uh, yes. he came up with that name and yeah. he was like, you guys should all check your IMDb. <laughs> it's next to the five freeway. Like, it's right. one of the loudest tennis courts in town. You yeah, can't yeah. even hear each other. You're like yelling at each other. Like, the freeway's yeah. right there. You can't even hear each other. Oh, that was fun times, though. We got to yeah, get back into great. it. We were good at tennis. We were really good who, at who, tennis. Who beats who at tennis? Or are you pretty evenly matched? Jake was the king. Jake was great. You I still were really can't good. Beat him. I, I think I'm next. I feel um, like I had a, a good talent for it, but it wasn't about good. winning with me. Right. No, you're not. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily. Enough. Yeah, I wouldn't clean it up at the end, right. but I kept up a good uh, game. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And uh, so, just to finish things off, uh, despite the way I started the interview, is Arrested Development coming back for season six? <laughs> what do you know about it? Uh, when's it happening? How Tell me dare more. you? Um, <laughs> good question. Yeah, I don't no think idea. we know. No, no, no clue. idea. But be fun. Yeah, I hope so. That's how I always answer. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Whatever. We'll see. I we mean, don't know until Mitch emails us. I, I, I mean, I think that you know, the, as far as like the series, this this season ends. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know as open as, as any anything. other season. It's like it could keep going. I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
we don't all die. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> we'll just become a virtual <laughs> yes. reality of a rest of them. We're just like characters and you can interact with us any way you want. <laughs> that, that makes it sound like we're yeah. sex objects, but no. Right. right. Well, that's yeah. where it would go. Naturally. <laughs> we just become sex toys. Yeah. It's the natural progression of the show. <laughs> Well, I can't wait to see how season five unfolds, yes. if that's yes. where he's going next. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, guys, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Nice, nice to talk to you. Lovely to thank have you. you on. Thank yeah. you. Right, time now for some movie news. What have we got this week? What have we got? Uh, George R.R. R. Martin, one of his earlier pieces, is being made into a film, a book called The Ice Dragon, which, I'll be honest with you, I haven't read. And it came out in 1980, which was at least 20 years before Ben was born. So, you know, he hasn't read it either. Um, But this is, I mean, it's called The Ice Dragon. It's nothing to do with the night. King. Uh, it is, in fact, about a young girl named Adara who befriends a rare ice dragon, uh, which apparently comes in handy when an invading army of creatures arrives to mess with Hey, hang on. This is all sounding a little yeah. bit familiar. Yeah. Has he only got one idea? It's possible. It's possible. Girl, dragon army. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so this girl, who is not in any way Daenerys, has her own ice dragon and uh, uses it to, you know, melt faces. So, joy. Does, <laughs> it, does it melt faces, faces or freeze faces? It could melt faces, it could freeze faces, perhaps it does both. Um, but yeah, so this is a thing that's happening. Uh, and it is yet another thing that George R. R. Martin is doing when he should be writing the next book. Well, George, get back to your word process. Obviously, I have to quote Neil Gaiman at this point and mm-hmm. remind you that George R. R. Martin is not your bitch. No. However, However, it would be nice if he would finish already. Please, thank you very much. Yes. Goodbye. Yes, it would. Um, but, hmm, okay, well, you know, I'm all for more dragons, so I guess that's good. Yeah. Um, speaking of dragons, uh, and indeed ice dragons, um, and indeed young people being involved with them, um, there were stills this week for How to Train Your Dragon 3, and the first details, really, of the plot of How to Train Your Dragon 3, uh, which will involve, among other things... Dragons. Um, well, yeah, yes. Otherwise. Training. Training. Uh, actually, probably not. I mean, Vikings. they haven't really done that since the first one. Vikings also, yes, with strange accents. Yeah. You know, I don't know what point, like, are the young people not old enough for their accents to have flipped from American to Scottish? That's which, a good question. Which that's happens, happens at some point. Yes, because the older Vikings are all Scottish and the young ones are all American, aren't yeah. they? Uh, that's, that's... So when does Hiccup just, like, flip? and go go Scottish. I don't know. We'll find out we next find year. Out. It's been far too long since How to Train Your Dragon 2, and I am personally jonesing for another fix of Toothless. Um, but apparently Toothless gets a girlfriend this time, or at least a, a love interest, mm-hmm. um, in a white fury. He is, of course, a night fury. She is a female of a similar species, and, uh, and he gets a little thing for her. Um, and meanwhile, there's a new threat, of course, that they all have to make uh, to meet. And also, there is a sort of a, a hint of a dragon homeworld type place. Now, this is a bit interesting because in the books, I haven't read all of them, but I believe that the dragons all leave and go back to their homeworld at the end of the series of books that this that was originally mm. based on. Um, the, the books are, of course, not at all connected to the story of the film, like the, like the most loose adaptation you could possibly imagine. So that doesn't mean that that's how this film ends. But I'm worried already that we're looking at an E.T. sort of an ending. And I'm not going to be okay. I'm not going to be okay. No, dragons cannot, cannot ascend to the heavens. I I can't, like, honestly, like, I feel like about Toothless much the same way I feel about Captain America. Like, I can't lose both of them (laughs) in a year. Yes. (laughs) Just, 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 like, keep it, just, like, keep him safe uh, and and don't let anything ever bad happen. What if he's got a beard in this one? Oh, my God. Well. (laughs) Toothless with a beard. Well, we know he's now a, a sort of spoiler for How to Train Your Dragon 2, which came out in 2014. We know he's now a sort of king dragon, so he may have changed physically. Oh, he's, like, he's like the alpha now, isn't he's he? He's now an alpha, yeah. I'd forgotten about yeah, that. Yeah, you see? 
I like those films, they're good. They're great films, I love them. Speaking of great films... Hey, let's... The cast for It Chapter 2 continues to swell. Uh, Jay Ryan has uh, has signed on to play the older Ben Hanscom, uh, who was obviously played by Jeremy Ray Taylor in the first film. But uh, the cast for this film is filling up really nicely. We've got Jessica Chastain, uh, we've got James McAvoy, Bill Hader, uh, James Ranzone, um, and obviously Skarsgård's returning as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, This could not be more exciting. Bill Skarsgård, to be clear, not one of the other Skarsgårds. One of the others, yeah. Um, yeah, just, just Bill. Um, Every time they announce somebody for this, um, even if it's somebody whose name I don't recognise, I see a picture of what the actor looks like yeah. and I go, I immediately know who they're I playing. It's, it's so they've uncanny how spot on they've job. got a lot of these. Such a good job. Yeah, I really can't wait to see mm-hmm. this. Yeah, I absolutely love the first one. I can't wait. And I've not read the book either, so I don't oh. know kind of you how mean it, the how film formerly known as It? Yeah, no, I haven't seen yeah. uh, the miniseries. I haven't read the book. Uh, so I'm very intrigued to see where the story goes from here. The miniseries is very, very good. The, the, book, the book is, is a lot better. Long. The, the book is super long. I've but got I the audio book the... of it, but it's 45 hours long. Yeah, so I, that I think it, they have done the right thing to split it, the two halves up, actually, and, mm-hmm. and, and do it this way. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with them taking a while, though, to make this because I need yeah. to sort of rebuild my courage after last time. So that's, that's okay. I don't mind an extra little bit of a wait. Speaking of casts that are filling out in an amazing way, um, Let's talk about John Wick, Chapter 3. There's always time to talk about John Wick. So we obviously have uh, Chad Stahelski back for the third time. We obviously have um, Keanu Reeves returning in the title role because some things are not negotiable. Um, But joining them are Halle Berry, um, uh, Angelica Houston will be playing the director. Amazing. Yeah. Um, we have uh, Billions' Asia Kate Dillon, who will be playing, uh, what was her name again? The Adjudicator of the High Table. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay, uh, Mark Dacascos as Zero, who's an assassin. Obviously, everyone is an assassin. <laughs> it kind of goes without saying in this, uh, this series. Uh, Jason Mantzoukas uh, is going to be uh, the TikTok man. Presumably. Maximum Derek. Maximum Derek, I think, <laughs> yeah. yeah. To be honest, I think he's going to have to go full Pimento, who is the, the massive weirdo psycho that he plays in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He went undercover and never really came back. It's amazing. Anyway, um, but also we have the raid veterans, Yayan Rohian and Sesep uh, Arif Raham, who are going to be in with the fight scenes as well. I'm just quite hyped about this. Obviously, Lawrence Fishburne, Ian McShane, mm-hmm. uh, Lance Reddick back as well. There is not a weak link in that list. I mean, it's the, John Wick. The prospect of, of a crossover between John Wick and The Raid is is more than I can handle right I now. Know. And throw Jason Manzoukas in there as well. Every time I think about just his face, it, it makes me laugh. He is amazing. <laughs> and his character, uh, TikTok Man, is that an assassin? Is he like some other kind of... We, I, I loved in the second one um, that every time I for, uh, I'm watching it, I forget that Peter Serafinowicz is in it. And then Peter Serafinowicz shows up and I'm like, ah... Yes, yes, I'd forgotten he was in it as well as the purveyor of fine weaponry. Yeah, what's it? oh he's the yeah the sommelier. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so I wonder if TikTok man will be some kind of gadget outfitter, or he could just be another assassin mm. with yeah. a, with a weird. There's got to be some kind of gimmick there to his to what, his name. To his like name he has yeah. a clock instead of a wind chime. Yeah, he just like bashes you on. Maybe he bit. maybe he ate the crocodile from Peter Pan and now has a clock inside. <laughs> 
It's possible that's a different I mean, they, they have been expanding the mythology, <laughs> so if they really went there, they could just about pull it off. I was off. trying to think it through, but I'm, I'm not sure there's This is going to be awesome. This, it is going to be awesome. There's, there's nothing more to say. It's going to be spectacular. I mean, Keanu yeah. Reeves versus every assassin in the entire yeah. world. Yeah. It, which is basically what, where what we are What would you now, want from a film? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much there. Very excited about um, this. Pete, speaking of international assassins, Liam Neeson's got another job. Mm. Have right. you seen this? Yeah. Uh, he signed on for the new Men in Black film, which increasingly seems like something I dreamed and isn't actually a film that's happening. So this is <laughs> Chris Hemsworth and Te- Tessa Thompson as the UK branch of the Men in Black. This is right. I'm not making this. I didn't dream... Did I dream this? No, that, that is that does seem to be correct. Yeah. And they've, Liam they've Neeson's both, in it. They've both essayed British accents before. This is going to end badly, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, look, it's. I think it could be fine. It could. It could. I just... Yeah, sure. I mean, so Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith are not featuring right. in okay. this one. And it's going to be a wash with English accents and all of that is fine. The, the real question is who's going to do the song because it, it still aggrieves me on a daily basis that uh, not only did Will Smith not do the song for Men in Black 3 but mm. they did get Pitbull to do it instead oh. which was a disappointing choice and the song itself was not a patch on the original Men in Black theme tune so uh, that's the main piece of news that I'm looking out for here. Sure. I mean, Chris Hemsworth, do, can he sing? Do we know? I mean, probably. There was, that, there was a musical number in Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. so I feel like it's probably in there somewhere, yes. right? So. Oh, maybe the Tessa Thompson connection. We could get Janelle Monet to do it. Oh. I would be all okay. over that. Yeah, like This sold, needs to happen. Go no further. I was going to suggest mm-hmm. Celine Dion, just on principle. <laughs> but, um, but now, now mm-hmm. you suggest uh, Janelle, then I think, I think we have a winner. Um, so if you're listening, please, please do please. hire her. Thank you very much. Um, and if you haven't listened to her album, Dirty Computer, yet, I highly recommend it because it's fab. Mm-hmm. And the video, there's like a whole album video oh, yeah, on YouTube amazing. with uh, Tessa Thompson in it that Indeed. is visually incredible. Incredible. And um, some other good casting. Sure. Uh, or, well, it's not fully firmed up yet, but the uh, it seems that, say, uh, there was theoretically going to be another Spider-Man film, which mm-hmm. uh, obviously, close your ears if you've not seen Infinity War. Uh, I mean... Totally up in the air, right? Who knows? Who knows? We don't. Uh, but say they were going to do another one. Uh, sure. The villain is looking like it would be Mysterio, and yeah. it looks like it would be Jake Gyllenhaal. Interesting casting, isn't yeah. it? He's never done anything comic booky before, or anything kind of superhero-y. Uh, and there was talk for a while of him uh, potentially being a new Batman post-Affleck. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be interesting to see, because I, I'm sure if he... Uh, did take the Mysterio role, that would possibly count him out from uh, from any Batman plans. I mean, DC, that whole situation still seems to be massively up in the air. Yeah. Uh, and we, I mean, we know for sure that uh, Spider-Man Homecoming 2, whatever they're going to call it, will be out. It's coming out a couple of months after Avengers 4, so they're going to start working on it uh, fairly imminently, I expect. Uh, yeah, I think he'd be amazing. He uh, Like, the, the choices that he's made over the last few years, uh, kind of Nightcrawler is the one that immediately jumps to mind that I just think is an incredible yeah. performance. He's an amazing actor. There was a, a tra- trailer this week for Wildlife, the Paul Dano film, which looks oh, okay. phenomenal. It got great reviews at Sundance, so, mm. so check that out. That's on the site. Um, but yeah, he's, he's brilliant. I mean, he can sing. Do we yeah. need a Spider-Man theme tune? He I mean, starred in Sundays in the Park with George on nothing Broadway. Nothing could ever right? go so. wrong if there was a Spider-Man musical, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what there, do you two think? 
There was there was also a Spider-Man musical episode of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which I've had going uh, around in my head since you first started this story. So um, apologies to anyone. Did that Kimmy Schmidt get cancelled? Did I read that? No, no, it's coming. Season well, no, four it, is season four but it's is the last happening. one, and that's the last one. one. Yeah. Okay, which is upsetting. Um, uh, there was a little bit more franchise news um, connected with Michael Bay. So we know that. Um, Michael Bay is planning to take over Robopocalypse from Steven Spielberg, which is probably the right move. Um, he's also uh, attached to star in a film or to make a film called Six Underground, um, and that one's moving ahead first. And Ryan Reynolds is apparently going to star in it, but we don't know anything about the plot. We just know it's a high testosterone mission mission movie, which could be said of literally anything Michael Bay has ever made. So it doesn't really narrow it down. What is interesting though is Transformers. They have pulled the seventh Transformers movie from the 2019 schedule. So Bumblebee is still due to open this December. Mm -hmm. It was the Travis Knight film, um, not Michael Bay. Um, And then they were planning... A seventh overall. I think that includes Bumblebee. Like a, a sort of Wahlberg yeah. main series kind of one. And that's apparently been right. pulled off the list. So that I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. but it's. I mean, it's interesting, interesting. seeing... Um, I don't think they've released much officially yet, but there were um, images from CinemaCon, I think, uh, like promo images mm-hmm. from Bumblebee. And the entire like look around that film seems totally different to all of the previous Transformers stuff. So maybe this film is going to be a kind of real turning point for what they want that franchise to be it looks a lot kind of softer and almost like slightly indie movie kind of feel so there is a shot of Haley steinfeld with um the old beaten up uh yellow volkswagen beetle uh that kind of look of the car um them kind of leaning her leaning on the car you know, big kind of blue sky it seems like a totally different vibe to the kind of grey metal doom apocalypse Michael Bay explosions <laughs> dragon robots grey metal doom apocalypse yeah. coming in 2019 <laughs> that is that's the true title of those films isn't it <laughs> yeah. I just I it, it feels a little bit like maybe they're they're putting off the the next Transformers as a I don't know like an armistice like a kind of a show of good faith in advance of upcoming peace talks you know uh-huh. de-escalation sure. just a, like an act of mercy really well, I'm thinking thanks uh, for that then I just I can't I can't face another one I cannot I can't deal with it the last one was such a mess I just make it stop make it stop we've not done anything to deserve this well. <laughs> I mean, we have. All right, fair enough. We deserve it. Uh, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't take it anymore. Although, I, I do wonder whether Bumblebee, actually, I, I'm quite looking forward to. Um, but Bumblebee that's... might be like Herbie Goes Bananas, but yeah. with Bumblebee, which that's is That's what I'm hoping for. I think, I, I think if it has personality and character and fun and humour and not big grey metal death machines throwing CGI at the screen, then I will be happy. Mm. In Travis Knight, we trust. Yes. We do. But I will say, the CGI in those movies is the best reason to watch them. The CGI in those movies is astonishing. I don't think it is anymore. I think it like, is. I remember when I saw the first Transformers, and I came out of it and was like, first of all, it was funny, even if John Turturro was in a different film. But uh, I was like, this is the reason CGI was invented. Yeah. Like, mm. I wanted to see Transformers smashing each other. And then... By the time we got to Transformers 23, I was just like, I am so bored of this shit. And now now it's just like, for state-of-the-art CGI, you know, I'll watch John Favreau's Jungle Book. I'll watch any of, of, of the, the new Planet of the Apes series. Do you know what I mean? Like, that, for me, is state-of-the-digital art now. And I think we've moved on from the robot smashy stuff. You know, you rewatch some of the Marvel films, and some of, not all of them, because some of them have some effects issues, but some of them look incredible. Mm. And I just now, the wow factor of the Transformers films is lost on me. And without the wow factor, That's there's true. nothing yeah. else there. Yeah. 
And I think, if, you know, if I were Michael Bay, I would either find a way to escalate the visual spectacle to a way where you get that wow factor back, or, you know, God help you, find a script uh, that makes sense and tell a story. Let's dream big. Let's dream yeah. of both. Yeah. I mean, you look, you look at... I remember the, my first reaction uh, after seeing Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, and I was like, who knew? If, you, if you've got a good script to start off with... Get a decent film out of it. I'm 100%. I, I, I think I might have confessed this on the podcast before, but I remember, you know, when uh, when when people saw Jumanji and were like, oh, it's really good. I went, no, I refuse to live in a world where that film is not two stars. Mm. And I adamantly refuse to believe that it was a good film because it's a remake of Jumanji. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's no way this is a good film. And then randomly I watched it and it's brilliant. It's a lot of fun. It's so fun. It's and really it's well the written. the script that holds it together. All, like the performances in the it The performances are great. Are great. The, the, the foundation of the script is, is it's really, really, really solid. solid. Yeah. Yeah. The, fa- the script is really good, but the, the chemistry between the characters, the comic timing, I mean, mm. Gillen is fantastic. The rock, I mean, the Jack Black is amazing mm-hmm. as Bethany. <laughs> the role he was born to play. The role he was born to play. I mean, yeah, anyone who hasn't seen that, do watch it. I, I, I now rue the day that I turned down going on set of that in Hawaii uh, and sent you John fool. instead where what? he befriended The Rock and got oh, given yeah, tequila. Oh, yeah, that was awful. Yeah. yeah. I'm still bitter I didn't get sent on that one, but, you know, that's fine. That's fine. It's fine. Um, before we leave news, we, we should also discuss Watchmen. There's been a lot of talk about that this week. Damon Lindelof and HBO obviously pushing it ahead with their planned series. Did you read Damon's statement, which um, felt a lot like the Sermon on the Mount? <laughs> there was much talk of testaments and it's gospels. Very biblical, isn't it? it was. I'm not sure I really understood it. I love Damon Lindelof. I think in it's fact, fantastic. He said that those so. old 12 issues are our Old Testament. When the New Testament came along, it did not erase what came before it. Creation, the Garden of Eden, Abraham and Isaac, <laughs> the flood, it all happened, and so it will be with Watchmen. Amen. So. Wow. I mean, it kind of leaves atheists and non-Christians out in the cold. We're like, what? So, so, so just to clarify, this is going to be a contemporary series that follows on from the story of Watchmen without retreading it. Indeed. But will tweak what happened, I guess. I mean, I guess. Uh, But we do also have some casting um, for the pilot. Uh, Regina King appears to be the lead, which is great news. Don Johnson's in there, Tim Blake Nelson, Louis Gossett Jr., Adelaide Clements, and Andrew Howard. Um, So not a bad lineup, I think. Um, it bothers me you know. that the uh, there seems to be a sort of a growing sense of belief that Zack Snyder's Watchmen film wasn't very good. And that was not the case. That film is great. And I, I stand by that. It looks great, it sounds great, it is great. And also, it's a very hard thing to adapt. I think he did a decent job. I think I would agree with the second part and not the, the first. I think it's a very hard thing to adapt and he did a decent job. <laughs> and I don't think it's a great film. Because I don't <sighs> think it's adaptable. I don't yeah. think it is. I really so, enjoyed it. I don't enjoy, like, they cut in the, was it the black, What's the black, black freighter? Rock, black freighter stuff. Mm-hmm. That's that was a weird thing to do mm-hmm. for that special edition release. That wasn't necessary. But I really liked it, and I thought they made like the the big change they did make. I think was a necessary one, and mm-hmm. I think that was a smart move. But uh, I just I love the feel of it, like the texture of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of Snyder's film. Well, no, let me retread. Uh, a lot of Snyder's earlier films <laughs> are uh, have a, an incredible sort of texture to him. You know, three hundred, even Sucker Punch for all its nonsense looks and sounds yeah. beautiful. Um, and and I think Watchmen is that Watchmen is a film that for me narratively holds together but is sumptuous to look at and listen to it's it's it is all things but then i i must admit i came to watchman quite late like i don't have this you know in alan moore we trust oh it cannot be touched mm-hmm. uh you know reverence for that yeah. so i kind of just took the film for what it was alan moore is a bit weird like he doesn't like adaptations of his own work but for most of the last few years he's been playing with other people's characters mm-hmm. you know lost girls and league of extraordinary gentlemen and all the rest like so 
I don't know. I feel like there's maybe room there to do something with yeah. it. And hope, mm-hmm. hopefully this will be great. Um, so, yeah, that's probably the big all the big news, I the, think. Uh, well, we, we've got this far in, and in yeah. a week when Chris is off and Helen's in control, and we haven't mentioned Lin-Manuel Miranda. That's <gasps> true. So, that uh, is true. I mean, we mentioned good. dragons. We started yeah. with dragons, but yes, you're right. We Please tell me more. We can with your favourite things. Um, <laughs> So, uh, before Hamilton, there was uh, In the Heights, which yes. is his other Tony Award-winning musical, uh, in, set in the Washington Heights uh, area of New York, at the top of Manhattan. Where uh, he grew up. Yeah. Yes. And uh, it's, uh, there's a film adaptation that's been in the works for a long time. So, I think Everything has happened, and uh, Weinstein uh, is going into bankruptcy. Mm. Uh, the rights have been up for grabs, so it sounds like there was a bit of a bidding war between uh, various studios who all wanted to get a hand on it, because now in a post-Hamilton world, uh, a film adaptation of In the Heights seems like a fantastic idea. Yeah. Um, so in the end, it looks like it's Warner Brothers who have got the rights to In the Heights, and they've got a director attached, which is John M. Chu of Step Up to the Streets, I mean, Step Up 3D. Yeah. In many ways, uh, the best off the step up step up to the streets is genuinely hilarious i love it and the dancing with the kind of yeah the dancing and the so um in the heights it's quite a different vibe to hamilton it's kind of yeah. it's still hip-hop sort of elements but with kind of salsa and um yeah it's in a, a kind of uh latino community in manhattan uh set over a the fourth of july weekend uh, in a sweltering heat wave and a blackout uh and the kind of pressures of gentrification uh of the different generations living in the area uh, so and at the center of it is uznavi who is this uh character who uh, has to decide whether he wants to stay in washington heights and look after this little bodega that he's running with his cousin or whether he wants to uh go back to his roots and head back to the dominican republic uh and it's a really fun show, lots of really upbeat numbers. And with Hamilton still being such a big deal and still making its way around the world, it's going to be a long, long time before there'll be uh, an adaptation of that while people are still flocking to the theatres. But um, hopefully we'll get an In the Heights film within the next couple of years. Yeah, that's exciting. I think uh, Hamilton, they're probably right to wait because, well, Lin-Manuel Miranda himself has said that if he looked back at most of his favourite musical films and most of them were made at least a decade and usually 20 years after the musical. Mm-hmm. Um, so he feels like that that period that gap is kind of important to making a really good adaptation and uh and who are we to argue with yeah. him and it's about a decade since in the heights since in the heights of, yeah uh, it was on broadway 2008 so. right mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah so exciting exciting times for well let's face it me so uh <laughs> hurrah um Okay, I think that's... Is that all the news? Are we done? Are we done? I, I think we're done, so. pretty much. Um, so, time for our next interview. Uh, it's another disgustingly young and talented person who I think I'm right in saying was last on this podcast for teen movie Beautiful Creatures. <laughs> is that right? Um, since then, he's obviously worked alongside everyone, basically. He's worked alongside Kate Blanchett. He's worked for Park Chang-wook, uh, Nicole Kidman. Um, he stole scenes from basically everyone in the Coen Brothers' Hail Caesar. He is the absolute MVP in that. Um, and uh, and he uh, has, has basically just done brilliant work consistently. Uh, he tackled, I think it's fair to say, his toughest role yet this week um, when he tried to capture the swagger and charisma of a young Harrison Ford in Solo. And you know what? He's actually not half bad. So 
talking to James and Nick, is that Talking correct? to me and Nick, where we ask a very special question just for Helen. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's right. This is literally my podcast. We've got all of my favourite <laughs> We've got things. everything. We've had Lin-Manuel mentioned. We've we had have Dragons. Alden Aaron Wright talking about... Supernatural. Supernatural. So enjoy. Please, here is Alden Aaron Wright. Uh, a very warm welcome to Alden Emreich, to Thank the you Empire very Podcast. Much. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. How's your solo tour going? It's going really well. It's really nice. You know, we worked on the movie for, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years or yeah. something. Uh, that's not really true, but like a couple <laughs> years. And it feels so great to finally get to show it to people. Should we be worrying that Harrison Ford will crash this interview at some point? No, I don't think so. But somebody said it in an interview, like, do you ever worry about who's going to surprise you next? And I... <laughs> thought well i wasn't worried until you said that now i'm now you know we'll see so this is why you're cunningly positioned facing the door that's right yeah, yeah. stay yeah, yeah. all angles watching my back yeah <laughs> so i mean where did you how did you first meet harrison because you met up with him before you did this just to kind of get a yeah around. you know the main thing for me is we were like kind of about to start shooting and i hadn't no one had really reached out to him in that way and so i just didn't feel right to go in without having talked to him so we had lunch and he was just remarkably gr- i met him in his airplane hangar and sat with him with five of his planes like five airplanes <laughs> in a semicircle around us and then he drove to lunch and uh, you know he was just super supportive and gracious about the whole thing and then as you saw in that video he, he he's seen the movie and loves it which means the world to me yeah. and everybody else that's working on this it's such a huge deal it's sort of like there's like the whole world and then you know what Harrison thinks yeah. and those are sort of the two boxes he's the, the important audience that's right, him. And then also George Lucas, you know, really mm. likes the movie, too. And that meant a huge deal because he really he created all this, mm. you know, like he made this up. And so we're all, uh, you know, have a huge debt of gratitude to him. Did Did you meet up with George beforehand or? He visited set uh, very briefly while we were shooting. And then I got to sit down with him, I think, a couple weeks ago at Skywalker Ranch and talk to him for a while. No. What was that like? Awesome. It's like meeting God, right? Yeah. I mean, it's so cool. And he... He's just such a he's so um he's really thoughtful about it and and he's brilliant, you know, he's a brilliant guy. He's got this museum of about, you know, narrative art, which is not something I'd ever really understood, but you know, like um comic books or Norman Rockwell paintings, like images that tell a story and help us determine what our values are and what our aspirations are and how you kind of can't you can't do something unless you can imagine it and helping people imagine lives for themselves. I'm sure he could articulate this way better than I can, but it was interesting. And they have a Yoda fountain. They <laughs> do have a Yoda fountain. Photos. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. right. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of like, you're very aware you're in a Star Wars. <laughs> this is the house that Star Wars built. Did you get to wander around the archive at the ranch? Yes. Yes. I went in and I, I, uh, I I saw the original blaster, which is slightly smaller than mine. Is it? Yeah. Uh, I saw all the lightsabers, which yeah. was pretty cool. I saw the original model of the Falcon. Um, I put Indiana Jones's hat on, which oh did God. not fit me at all. It looked like a like a like a little baby hat on me or yeah. something because I have a huge head. Um, and. Uh, and it was uh, really awesome. It was really cool. It was, in a way, seeing the Indiana Jones stuff was 
even more exciting because I was kind of prepped for the Star Wars stuff. Yeah. And then I, I didn't, I hadn't realized I would also see all the jackets and short rounds hat and like the all Ark of the Covenants. Yeah, exactly. Don't all that stuff it. is there. Yeah, yeah you went tempted to ask for a crack of the whip. No, no. <laughs> oh no, no. I saw it. It was in a box, and I wasn't feeling like probably need training. That's right. Probably. <laughs> well, you're set up now. Surely you're a shoe in for the next indie film. That's the. Uh, you're now the official new Harrison Ford. So I guess so. I don't know. That's like yeah, maybe. I don't know. Should have this contractual. This is right. a terrible question. But yes. how is your woodwork? Because obviously Harrison was a carpenter before Not he... Not nearly as good as his. You know, I actually have seen... He did, he did the carpentry on uh, Francis Ford Coppola's office in San Francisco. And it is spectacular. I mean, it's really beautiful. Um, I built a couple little things and a wood thing in my house and refinished some chairs and some stuff like that. But not a lot of Small coffee table, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So we had I him, built we had, a bench, which is pretty easy. <laughs> That's good. It's easy. We had uh, Harrison on the podcast a few years ago. Oh, really? He told us that he fitted a kitchen for Jim Morrison at one point. Really? Amazing. God. Yeah. I mean, like, that's. It's like 70s was a cool time to be a carpenter, I guess. Yeah. He'd worked for Joan Didion, and I mean, it's. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's carpenter to the stars. Yeah. Uh, speaking of speaking of stars, you get to uh, act with everyone's favorite Wookiee. Yes. Uh, and a question I meant to ask you is, does he speak the lines in English on set? Most of the time what he does is kind of a version of it where he'll go like, I don't want to go. You know, he'll sort of <laughs> yeah. do the voice, but also the words at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And so you get what he's saying and then that. And then sometimes you're doing a scene and... And like you know, me and Woody will be having a dialogue scene, and it's like on the on my coverage or Woody's coverage and something. And Jonas will do his lines in the background, but sometimes that's just like in the middle of our lines, going like, and it's kind of like <laughs> I appreciate it, but like you don't need to do it right now because both of us start laughing, and then it's really you know it's really hard to keep going with the scene. Yeah, does he have like a team of people with giant combs following him around? He really does. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Well, there's so the, cre- the coolest place to go at the in the star wars universe really is the creature shop which is you know santa's workshop it is all these incredible artists at the top of their field building every day the kind of craziest things they can possibly imagine and then there's the wookie room which i think is like 14 women sewing individual yak hairs into these wookie suits and maria who's really wonderful and is kind of the head wookie person and is tall and and you know like looks after him they shampoo the suit so it smells really good and they're constantly sort of like grooming it and you know working on the head and everything like that it's really kind of incredible see that's the thing i wonder because if it's yak care you do wonder whether there's a certain pungency to chewing yes, when you're around him yes well uh when he's doing stunts and sweating and stuff it, it's not great but for the most part it actually smells wonderful because it's like a kind of very clean rug yeah this is what I was wondering. If I had a Wookiee around me, I think I'd want to hug it the whole time. Yeah. Is that, is that a, a Yeah, you, you definitely do that. And Jonas is kind of a master at uh, photo ops. You know, like he knows how to use that suit in every conceivably funny way he can use it. And, you know, like sprawling out like a Baywatch model or, you know, like <laughs> whatever it is, doing rap stuff. Or, you know, it's he's, he's really good with the suit and it is hard not to crack up. I'd imagine a line of cast and crew just queuing up to get a motivational yeah. hug at lunchtime. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
So was was meeting Chewy? I mean, what was the peak geek moment for you? Like, what was the bit that most made you get in touch with your inner fanboy? Yeah, I think the main thing is really being in the cockpit of the Falcon and flying it. I think actually, you know, the first thing is you sit down there and you can't believe you're really sitting there. And then one of the really cool things about it is that in front of the ship is a screen that wraps around the ship. Yeah. And projects all the space that we're actually flying through. So when I'm looking out the windshield, I'm really looking at space and us and all the different things we're trying to avoid or the ships or whatever it is. And um, and so there's kind of that first blush of seeing it and how exciting it is to actually be there. And, and then the cooler feeling is a couple months into it when you've been shooting on and you know where the buttons are, you know where the yoke is, you know what the seat feels like, and you feel like, okay, it's my ship now. Yeah. Is that screen, was that Ron's edition? Is that a new thing? Cause they didn't it is a new that, thing. It, this is the first film I think that they've done it on. It was not Ron. I think it was partially Bradford Young, the cinematographer, because he was lighting us yeah. with that. So it's a much more organic way of having us so lit. That's the reason for it, so that you that's see the, them. I think that's the main reason. It's it's not primarily there for the actors, but it does have such a wonderful and positive effect for all of us. Yeah, it's like being at Disney World. <laughs> that's right. It seriously is. And then the ship you're in is on a gimbal and actually shakes and moves. And, you know, you're at, it is like the ultimate Disneyland experience all day, every day. Yeah. It's also hot as a mother. <laughs> So Chewy is the person who really they stick a leaf blower in his mouth between takes to try to cool him down. And do you actually know what all those buttons do? At the start of the shoot, are you given like a giant instruction manual for the Millennium Falcon or do you just it's press It's loose, whichever? you know, like I like to do that kind of stuff. So it's loose, but we, you know, we have some Royal Air Force guys there. I guess here I can say RAF and you'll know what I'm talking yeah. about. Um, we had somebody on set every time we were flying any ship. And I spent a good amount of time with them or in, in the speeder, you know, going through what everything does because it, you know, it's just to me, it's helpful. I think for the most part, most of the time people are just flipping buttons, but mm. I enjoy doing that kind of thing. Yeah. It feels like the kind of thing Pablo Hidalgo would be going, I think you'll find that's the thrust of there. <laughs> that's right. Well, there is, this is some deep cut Star Wars exclusive nerd stuff. Excellent. There is a, uh, a difference in uh, which direction you move the the um, the um, the levers for light speed. Yeah. There's some discrepancy in the original films between whether you push it forward like a plane or if you pull it back. Or yes. wait, I don't remember which one. I think a plane is forward. Um, but yeah, the, it it goes back and forth, and so. Uh, you'd think that that's like a setting maybe that, you know, maybe Lando has a different way of doing it than Han or something. It's customized. They yeah, said, customized. I think, on the original film that the uh, the switches and stuff, they weren't spring-loaded. Like, they would, they would gradually sort of, like, ease back into their position. They wouldn't stay flipped. Oh, okay. So you couldn't stay on right. them nothing stayed in the right position. Yeah, yeah, Usually yeah. one's slightly better constructed. I think it's slightly better. There's some real buttons there, and I also broke a good amount of the ship. I broke the yoke. I broke the buttons. I mean, it, almost in every take, because you're yelling, and you're flying, and you're <laughs> hitting it, and they're very well made, but they can only take so much abuse. Yeah, and obviously Harrison has become a real-life... Flyboy. That's right. That's a word I can That's use. That's right. Yeah. Um, is that something you're tempted to pursue or have I a go? I never on? was. And then I get how that kind of you get the bug from doing one of these movies a little bit. You know, I spent, I went on a plane uh, in, during the prep period and sat in the cockpit with a couple pilots. And it was really kind of cool. And uh, I, I kind of get why you would want to do that. I just took a plane ride. I went to visit uh, Coppola, who did my first movie mm -hmm. with. And he has a tiny, tiny metal plane that we flew to Napa on, which was kind of a thrill. <laughs> who was flying? 
Uh, he has two pilots. Okay, so it wasn't him. for him. No, <laughs> okay. no, no, it wasn't him. Just an image no, of but Harrison, helicopter squadron. You know, Harrison flies like, I don't know, three, four times a week. He's flying yeah. constantly. Flies, crashes, the whole That's thing. That's right. Yeah. My friend, a guy I grew up with, was his assistant for a while. And Harrison asked him, you know, come in the plane. I'll take you around. And he got on the plane and threw up in the plane. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Yes, I think so. Up in Harrison Ford's plane. That's right. That you're, you know, you don't want to, you want Harrison Ford to, you know, think you're cool. Yeah, I, I don't think that probably does it. That doesn't help. So Han versus Han, this is a thing that's kind of followed this character. Absolutely. You have a line in the film where you correct Lando. That's right, that's right, which is fun, yeah. Because Billy D. Williams famously was a hand man rather than that's a Han right. man, wasn't he? And George Lucas is a hand man. Is he? That I didn't know. George Lucas, at least in my time with him and in interviews, has said Han, and uh, Leia has said Han and Han. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Harrison says Han and Harrison says Falcon. So that's, you know, that's if I'm him, that's what I'm saying. But you've made it canonical now because you've corrected him. That's right. Yeah, exactly. They kind of took that and made this <laughs> joke of it. But you wonder how that went on in the original movies. I guess there's no one there kind of monitoring that stuff. They call her Leah. Leah at some point. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. They probably had other things to worry about. <laughs> they had other stuff to worry <laughs> about. Like, is exactly. this film going to work? <laughs> right, exactly. Like a giant dog man. That's right. Not um, 40 years from now, will some guy on the internet be agonizing? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. imagine, you know, it's wild. Now, one of the co-hosts of the Empire podcast is Helen, uh, who has a long-time obsession with the long-running television show Supernatural. Now, <laughs> you, I believe, are possibly the only guest we've ever had who has appeared on an episode really? of Supernatural. Really? Yeah. The 2005 true. episode Wendigo, as I believe. Yes, Wendigo. Oh, sorry, Wendigo. Well, don't apologize to me. <laughs> I apologize, apologize to Helen. <laughs> to Helen and, and all those Supernatural fans that you just offended. What was that experience like? It was great. That was my first ever job. Really? And I was 15 and I went to Vancouver for two weeks. And that was a real moment of like, I, I'd never been on a set before. And that was like a, a real... Also, it was the second episode of the whole season, of the whole show, really? ever. So everyone had just gotten there. Now, I think they just finished that show very recently. So I'm sure this feeling was maybe different. But, um, <laughs> you know, it was it was my first time on set, and it was this really kind of thrilling. I just remember that feeling of like, wow, I really love it here. I really love being, I love doing this. And, um, and it was, yeah, it was great. And I played Ben. Did you get eaten by a Wendigo? I didn't. We we my brother was kidnapped by a Wendigo, right. and we were worried. And I had one line where I said, "Like the Donner Party," and everyone at I was friends with for a long time said, "Like the Donner Party," and made fun of me constantly <laughs> for that line. I don't know why. I know Helen would want me to ask you: Are Sam and Dean as dreamy as they appear? Incredibly dreamy. <laughs> Incredibly dreamy. They were probably my age. They might have been younger than me actually at yeah. that time which is crazy to think about. But yeah, they were they were super they were really fun guys and really nice and um yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Oh, she will be thrilled. And then there 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 are certain shows that every actor seems to book on their way up. CSI. And CSI. Yeah. yeah, you knew that was coming. Yeah. Um I don't know what you play in this. I just interviewed Adam Scott recently and he was in an episode as well. Oh, really? But, um what was your well, Supernatural I was, I was Ben and in CSI I played Sven. <laughs> and I think I had a line where I said I hate my father for call naming me Sven. Um and uh I what was my experience on that? That was a lot quicker. I kind of went in and did a couple scenes and I was the son of Danny Bonaducci and Sean Young, and uh, and I was a suspect in a murder. Okay, so Sven. I was sixteen. Right, <laughs> but did you do it? 
did I did, did I do it? Murder? No, I didn't do the murder. Okay, good. No, I, I was innocent. <laughs> acquitted. I was acquitted. Okay, was good. this during the Grissom years? Uh, when Billy Peterson was on. I don't. Oh yes. Oh it was. Yes, yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. he yeah. was there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Was it fun doing stuff like that when you were fifteen, sixteen? Because that's Supernatural was really fun because they all were just beginning it, and it was CSI was just kind of you know they had that routine down and everyone mm-hmm. is kind of you're just like going through this kind of machine in a way um not to detract from the magic of that <laughs> but uh, uh supernatural was really supernatural was a lot longer and we were in stanley park and we were in nature and we were shooting outside and it was much more involved shoot and so that was really and it was with great people david nutter directed it and he was really that was another he's a great uh director he did a lot of the pilots for some like or the greatest shows and he was um very very encouraging of me even though that was my first job and I had very little to do at the end of it actually he kind of picked me up and in front of the whole crew and said to the whole crew like you're all going to be seeing this kid somewhere and it was really special he was really warm and he said trust your instincts and he turned out to be 100% right I guess so yeah and on that note thank you very much thank for you that was that wonderful was thanks been a pleasure. nice thank to meet you. you guys well, that was Alden Ehrenreich. He seemed fun, James. Was he, was that good fun? He was loads of fun, actually. I, he was, he was, we had ages with him. Uh, we sat and talked about all kinds of stuff, most of which I'm sure didn't make it into this. But uh, yes, we did, we did chat a bit about Supernatural. Good. Uh, he, seemed, he seemed to have very fond memories of Sam and Dean. Well, mm. don't we all, yeah, really? Yeah. He did. We didn't get onto the Wincest part of it. Probably just as well. Yeah. I, don't I think mean, that's we would can- have done if it's, we'd had time. It's not canon, let's no. be honest. Um, Right, well, thank you for not talking Wincest. And uh, if you don't know what that is, please don't look it up um, for for your sake, uh, not for ours. Um, Here, by the way, is our Chris Hewitt with a quick reminder of what to watch this week on Sky Movies. Why, thank you, Helen. And yes, indeed, this segment is coming to you all the way from Los Angeles, the city of angels. And while I may be thousands of miles from home, thanks to our good chums at Sky Cinema, I am never truly alone because I downloaded a bunch of films onto my iPad before I came out here. Always think ahead. Always be thinking. Sky Cinema are, of course, the sponsors of this week's show, and they have over a thousand quality movies on demand for you to enjoy wherever and whenever you want. If, for example, jet lag strikes in the middle of the night and you can't get back to sleep and the British businessman next door to you is yelling into his phone at 4.30 in the morning for a good solid hour... Watch some movies in Sky Cinema, but that's just a random example that has no relation to what is actually happening in my life. Uh, This week, my recommendations are War for the Planet of the Apes, which is a new addition to the premiere section of Sky Cinema. It is a premiere on Sky Cinema, the third and final part of the rebooted Planet of the Apes trilogy. This sees Andy Serkis on peerless form as Caesar, once again, the wise chimp who is leader of a large colony of apes in a world almost entirely devoid of humans. But humans lurk out there, and in the shape of Woody Harrelson's colonel, they represent trouble for Caesar and his clan. Part road movie, part western, part POW movie, Matt Reeves' film is, for my money, the best of this new trilogy. It's thoughtful, it's elegaic, it's exciting, with wonderful effects and performances at its core. You will love Steve Stan as Bad Ape. Go bananas then for war for the planet of the apes. Uh, which shares a lot in common with a fellow Fox film, and it's another movie which brings the trilogy to a close. It's my second recommendation this week, and that is Logan, which is James Mangold and Hugh Jackman's farewell to the mutant 
the Claude mutant that Jackman has been playing for close to two decades now in almost 10 X-Men films. This is a far cry from X-Men Origins Wolverine, or indeed the Wolverine in terms of his solo outings. It's a somber, bleak, brutal affair set in the near future where mutants have been mostly wiped out and Logan, now aging, struggling to stay one step ahead of the Grim Reaper, is looking after an aged Charles Xavier. Stuart, not McAvoy, uh, when a young girl with extraordinary abilities comes into his life, sparking one last shot at redemption. It's beautifully written, shot and performed. For my money, this violent modern western is the best there is at what it does. And if this is to be Jackman's farewell to the character, it's a damn good note on which to go out. Uh, and that's it for my Sky Cinema update from LA. I'm back in London next week. Join me then for more Sky Cinema-related fun. Meanwhile, Helen, it's back to you in the studio. All right, and it's time now for this week's movie reviews. Um, first up, we have a film set in a desperate time, long ago and far away, about a young scrapper who must struggle to survive in a harsh environment. I refer, of course, to The Breadwinner. Uh, <laughs> see what you did there. That's uh, so good. Yes, yeah, so this is the new film from Cartoon Saloon, the people behind Song of the Sea and The Secret of Kells. Three for three in Oscar nominations. I'm a little bit proud because they're Irish. I'm Irish. I'm taking all the credit. Um, but, of course, the credit actually belongs to director Nora Toomey, um, who does a fantastic job of adapting this book. Um, and it's the story. It's set in Kabul in 2001. Um, and it's about a young girl called Parana, um, whose father is uh, basically arrested by the Taliban and imprisoned. Um, and she is left with her mother, her older sister, and a baby brother, which means they have no adult male to accompany them out of the house. You cannot leave your house as a woman in, under the Taliban without male family member accompanying you. Um, so obviously leaves them in pretty dire straits. She basically uh, cuts her hair, dresses as a boy, and, and goes out to earn a living for her family in this extremely harsh environment, of course, risking arrest or worse herself um, and, and trying to keep you know, her entire family afloat um, on her 11-year-old shoulders. So in many ways, it's a pretty hard story. Um, you know, one review uh, from Variety, I think, said if this was live action, it would be unwatchable. It would be just too, too upsetting, too tough. Um, and, and with the idea that the animation gives it, you know, just that little kind of magical mm. sheen and, and just enough room to make it bearable. Um, so it's not something to take your kids to see? I, I don't think you would take very young kids. Yeah, because Song of the Sea is like a fun for all the family. It is, mm -hmm. but it, again, I mean, there's there's a huge emotional hit yeah, to that film you're as like well. like crying for about ten minutes after well, it ends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but. Um, but no, it's 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 probably a little bit older than either of their two previous films. But both of those films had scary moments and and, and upsetting moments and uh, selkies and so on. Um, this one is is like really tough just in terms of its honest depiction i think mm. of, of that era in afghanistan um but it is not without hope it's not without humor it's not without sort of some kind of faith in humanity i think and there are kind of magical moments so she tells her little brother her baby brother a story uh, and it's kind of interesting because at the very beginning of the film she's her dad's trying to tell stories to her and she's like oh we've got no time for stories the world is too hard i don't i can't be having with all of this we need to concentrate on what's real um and it's interesting that as, as her life becomes harder, she needs that kind of escape into fiction. I think that's a really good kind of message, one of the many messages from the film. But it's, it's, I think it's just wonderful. The character of Parwana is just one of the great heroines, I think, of the modern age. I think she's just great. Uh, voiced by, I think it's Sarah um, Chudry, and she is, she's wonderful. Um, really good voice cast all over. Not a, you know, starry, 
big name voice cast, but just that they, they do really, really good work. Um, and it's beautifully done, I think. I, I really, really liked it. We gave it four stars, um, and it deserves, I think, at least that many. But anyway. <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, so The Breadwinner is very much It's a upsetting, isn't it, Helen, when a film that should get a higher rating gets savaged by the person who reviews it, who unjustly removes a star when it clearly should be there. Mm. Almost as upsetting as somebody who harps on about a film which is clearly three stars, <laughs> deserving more. All right, let's uh, let's go into our next film now. Okay, it is time now to talk about a film, uh, a story about someone who must go through real trials to become the person that they were always meant to be. And by that, of course, I refer to Sheila Hancock in Eddie, Edie, Edie, Edie. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, we've got a review of this uh, online. Uh, so you can go and read that. But uh, according to our reviewer, so this is uh, about uh, Edie, who is in her 80s and her husband has passed away, uh, played by Sheila Hancock, as you mentioned. The and husband's played by Sheila Hancock. The, the husband is in a, in a surprise twist. Uh, no, so Edie is played by Sheila Hancock and... Uh, uh, her character in her younger years always intended to climb a Scottish mountain. Uh, Swilven? Swilven. Mm. We are all going to look at each other and pretend like we know how to sure pronounce that. that. Uh, a Scottish mountain. Uh, she was always intending to climb it with her father, uh, but then when she got married to a very uh, traditionalist man, uh, those plans got put on hold. So after her husband passes away, she decides uh, that now is the time to try and conquer uh, the, the Scottish wildlands. and uh, But with her being in her older years, uh, she's not really prepared to take on that journey alone. So she teams up uh, with a young guy called Johnny, played by Kevin Guthrie, uh, and they basically go up the mountain together. Uh, and they're sort of kind of mismatched, odd couple who uh, learn different life lessons from each other along the way on this journey. And then journey. they're stalked by wolves, and the two of them have to hunt the wolves to their lair, and she gets some minibar bottles and mm-hmm. tapes them to her fist, and she fights the wolves. Yes, and then Liam Neeson uh, <laughs> comes out of the woods, and they team up together and uh, punch the wolves, and that's the end. This is essential viewing. I think everyone uh, should watch it. Uh, no, yeah. obviously, uh, none of none that of happens. None of that happens, uh, no. But, uh, so, uh, according to our uh, reviewer, uh, the premise is great, and apparently Apparently the character of Edie herself is uh, really formidable and it's an amazing performance from Sheila Hancock. But the uh, film around it uh, is less interesting uh, than you would hope for from that uh, from that dynamic and it kind of seems to go for uh, easier, gentler beats rather than the kind of more uh, promising emotional depth that you would hope for from that, uh, from that premise. So uh, two stars for this one. Okay. A um, bit disappointing that, but uh, time now to go on to a better film, one that touches on the younger days of an iconic, nay, legendary figure. Um, I'm referring, of course, to civil rights campaigner Rosa Parks, who plays a role in the documentary The Rape of Recy Taylor. Um, now, we haven't got the review for this up on the website yet, but I can tell you it's a documentary about uh, the rape in 1944 of a black woman in Alabama, and it, it discusses basically the sort of... Um, the, the unfairness of the situation and the absolute lack of justice that she received despite the efforts of the NAACP who sent down their investigator Rosa Parks to try and help her, who got behind her. Um, there was a huge outswell of support for her in her community and yet she still couldn't get an indictment of the men responsible even though they admitted, some of them, to the crime. 
they still weren't indicted for That's it. So insane. it's 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 a, it's an absolute howl of injustice this mm. film and it sort of draws a line from the you know the the mistreatments under slavery right through the civil rights era and beyond and it is it's really powerful piece and it sort of stands next to Ava DuVernay's the 13th I think in terms of its you know linking up of the past and showing the sort of the continuation of the injustices of slavery into something more like the present day so um a little bit heavy-handed at times, I think, especially in its music choices, but definitely um, a, a really upsetting, powerful film and, and powerful story. Um, also out this week, there is the story, of course, of a man who stood up to an entire empire from his place in a remote colony, um, which is Zama. That's had great reviews at festivals around the world, so <laughs> do check that out. And is, is that all? I think, I think that's everything. Yeah. I think we're done <laughs> with reviews for yeah. that. Oh, there's a Star Wars film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, 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 there's a Star Wars there film. There is. There's a, um, a film by the younger days of Han Solo. Uh, do you Helen, know what? Helen, it's Han Solo. Han Solo. Han Solo. I, I, it's funny, some of my intros might have misled you there. <laughs> I apologise if there was any confusion. Something Alden Ehrenreich revealed is, obviously they've now made canon that you have to pronounce it Han. Uh, but George Lucas pronounces it Han. <laughs> so I don't know where we all stand at this point. I'm very confused. Well, um, let's talk about the film then. Let's what, talk what about the film. Think? So this is the second uh, Star Wars anthology movie, which is the younger days of Han Solo, who grew up as a street rat on the slums of Corellia before running into the Sultan's daughter and pretending to be a Sultan himself, <laughs> courting her, and then the evil vizier turns up and his... Ident- uh, hang on, I no, that's, wait, no. that's Aladdin. Um, <laughs> but it's a lot like that, um, except it's set in space. Um, now, this, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting film, this. It's, it's a Western in many ways. Uh, it's a sort of has a frontier vibe to it. Um, and I'm not really going to talk about the story because I just think it's almost incidental. It's about a character. It's about, it's about him. It's about him meeting Chewie and forming that bond. It's about him becoming the person that we encounter uh, in A New Hope, going from, you know, the street rap to the kind of sardonic, cynical smuggler that we all know and love. Um, And I had, as I've said many times, enormous concerns about this film, which were mainly allayed, actually. All Now and Right is extraordinarily good. He is very good, yeah. He's he's fantastic, and I think to step into Harrison Ford's shoes that's you know, that's no mean feat. Mm-hmm. And he really pulls it off, and it's not uh, it's not mimicry, it's not imitation, but you feel for there from the you know the pointing finger of doom to he has the kind of squinty sardonic kind of smile thing going on. He's got the body language. He just does, down. yeah, he really, he really does. does. And uh, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed this. Um, it's a light film. It's not dark. Like the tone is quite you know buoyant. It's really enjoyable. There's some great characters. Uh, L3, played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who I have christened C. Flipio, uh, is fantastic. Really enjoyed her in this. Um, Donald Glover is fantastic as Lando Calrissian. Mm-hmm. Um, and he um, has, and this is really important to note, an entire wardrobe full of cloaks. Nothing else. <laughs> yeah. there, is, there are no other visible clothes. So maybe he has a wardrobe for all his shirts as well. But like, uh, There are amazing. moments of this where it feels a little bit like if you were Robot Chicken writing a parody, you might... <laughs> literally copy some of these scenes word for word but i you know it's it, it it walks that line very very well it is funny it's exciting it's full of daring do and swashbuckling adventure um i had loads of fun with it um i think and i tried to explain this to someone who's oh you know harrison ford is hard solo you can't pull it i was like think of this as the kelvin timeline star wars movie <laughs> you know don't let it bleed into the canonical star wars don't worry about where it fits in don't worry about we doesn't look like harrison it doesn't matter. Think of it as an alternate timeline and appreciate it 
as a Star Wars romp that you get as a kind of palate cleanser before Episode Nine. Don't take it too seriously. Go in with that expectation. You really enjoy yourself. Uh, we gave this one four stars, um, and yeah, I do. I do recommend people go and see it. Yeah, it's good. To see, it's always good to see Chewie on the big screen. Yeah, it is. It is. I got a hug from Chewie. Oh, <laughs> so right. jealous right. of that. I did. He came in for. Uh, he came in for the junket. Uh, he was on site uh, in all his glory, and uh, me and Nick got hugs. And Chris couldn't get a hug because he was still editing last week's podcast, and he wasn't very happy. Sorry, Chris. Chewie said, Chewie said hi. To the guy uh, in the costume, who is, in fact, the guy in the costume, Not uh, it wasn't Eunice, it was um, the stunt Wookiee, the mm-hmm. stunt Chewie. Uh, and he was in there, and he'd been in there a while, and I said to him, I said, oh, is it hot in there? And he just went, <laughs> So he had, the, uh, he had the sounds down. And I think I, I appreciate that level of commitment to the character. And that is what you need mm-hmm. to play. Interestingly, right. and uh, I think Aaron Hart touches on this in the interview, it's made of yak hair, the costume, but they shampoo it regularly because obviously otherwise it's going to stink. Uh, and Chewie smelled very fragrant and he was soft and fluffy. <laughs> so, you know, that's a fact you should all have. I always knew it somehow. Mm. I just, I always knew it. Do you know Princess Leia had a baby Wookiee doll growing up? You know, it just seems to chime with that. Somehow. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think that is all for this week's Empire Podcast, uh, brought to you by Sky Cinema. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by Martin Freeman to talk about his new Netflix show, Cargo. Um, we will also be doing a solo A Star Wars Story spoiler special. And we try shall saying indeed. that two times fast. We will have a spoiler special for Solo A Star Wars Story. And God, there's a lot of syllabans there. Um, uh, coming for you, but we're holding that for uh, another couple of weeks, so it will not be out on Monday. But do keep an eye out on the Empire website, on on the, the Twitter and Facebook feeds. It will be coming your way. Um, and until uh, the that, until the uh, main uh, podcast next week, uh, that is it from me. It's goodbye from James. Goodbye. Goodbye from Ben. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to kill all handle jokes with an axe. You need to. You need. You need to get a get a grip, Helen. On, 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 on no. the. No. No. On, on the. Dead. Ha- on the handle. Dead to me. Because. Thanks very much, guys. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>